Well, we have a problem. I'm Dave Catney's. I'm David Catney's. That's what's in the Substack address. I'm David Catney's. This is too close to call, and this is the rant. But I promised you, my loyal Substackers, that I would be giving you a little bit of a behind the curtain. Uh, look at a complaint I received on a story I wrote tonight. But the tweet sent around the world has put this on pause. Let me explain. This post, this rant, was supposed to be about a how I handled and how a publication handled a complaint about a story I recently wrote where someone complained about something that was factually true in the article, and then how we handled it and how we decided to stick to our guns in this particular situation. That is what I was teeing up for to talk about on the rant, because I think it would give readers and listeners sort of an inside look at how the sausage is made, how journalism is formed. So I sent a tweet you know, I was pretty excited about to talk about this, and I sent a tweet earlier tonight. This is just how things work. New Substack coming in a few. How I handle a complaint on a recent story and a request for a change by a flickety flack. Yeah, it's a little cute, but behind the curtain we go. Subscribe here to get it, and then I boosted the Substack. Basically trying to draw some folks in to learn about what happens behind the curtain. Well... Life intervened, and I quickly received a response. I sent that tweet at 5.25 on Wednesday evening and then got a email from the editor in charge of that article at 6.09, so about, what, 40 minutes later? A little more than that. I say, wait, 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 are you going to talk about this particular story? The editor objected to me speaking to the story and the controversy online. So <laughs> here I am. I promised. I teed this up via tweet. The editor saw the tweet. The editor was, was concerned and said, eh, why inflame a sticky situation? And then the editor requested, I, I appreciate if you leave out the details that might identify the particular story and the person in question. Well, you can't really talk about it then. You can't really, you can't really identify the story without identifying the story and the people involved. So, you know, here we are. But here... My larger question is, you know, and I respected, I respect this editor. I'm respecting his wishes. I'm not going to talk about this particular story. But part of what I promised in doing the Substack is giving you a peek behind the curtain, how the sausage is made. I think it is useful to readers. I think telling readers about how you come to a decision is important. I think some major publications are doing that now in stories. They do an explainer about how we came to this decision to publish this person's account versus not doing this. I think airing the mechanics 
of a story and the decisions that go into it is helpful. We are at a low point in life on trust in institutions, particularly journalism. Our process is under the limelight. We get a lot of things wrong. That is sticky. That makes this sticky. But, you know, my editor in this instance asked me to not inflame a sticky situation, and I'm going to respect that wish, but I'm going to open up a, a bit of a larger conversation and ask you, my listeners, you know, would you like to learn more about the process and how stories are made and and not betraying people. I wasn't going to name names. I was going to name a particular story and a complaint I got and how we handled it because it happens all the time in journalism. You publish a story and then the worst possible message is, hey, can you give me a call? And immediately it goes to your gut and you're like, did I get something wrong? Did I not fact check something? Did I get a quote wrong? Did I misquote someone? So I, when I get that email, I immediately go back to my story, I go back to my notes, and I do a second read-through, and I try to be careful. But in this instance, the complaint was about something that was accurate in the article. It was an accurate description in the story. And the, 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 the person, the flack acknowledged it was accurate, but just didn't want it in the story. So that was the debate that I was going to have. And it was a very specific instance in what do you do when something is accurate in your story? This is not about a mistake. Obviously, journalists correct mistakes. There's a lot of things that go wrong. You have to own up. You try not to get things wrong. But if you do get them wrong, you try to correct them as quickly as possible. This was more about when something is accurate, but hurts someone's feelings, is not in the is not placed in the best light. Do you take it out as a favor? Do you change a word, change verbiage, change an adjective? That is what I was going to raise in this original Substack post. But as my editor reminded me, why potentially inflame a sticky situation? Well, <laughs> I think it can be helpful. I'm actually trying to be genuine about this. I think, you know, sometimes sticky situations are good to get into. It's like, it's like the elephant in the room. It's there, but nobody wants to talk about it. We'll just move on to the next story. I think the process of how a story is made is almost as essential as the story on the page. We live in a different era now. And I think you can earn readers' trust in part by laying out how you did something very honestly, laying out the facts. Maybe we did the wrong, maybe I made the wrong call. I respect when people write and say, hey, you left this out. All journalism is a bit subjective and what we choose to put into a story, the guts of a story. What line is in, what line is out? You have a 500-word count. Edits have to be made. It's not 
you know, always nefarious. Sometimes there's just honest mistakes. I know people can't believe that. It's not always a conspiracy when something is left out. But, you know, I, I am on the, now I've moved to the side of, let's talk more about the process. And every time I've responded to readers who've read my articles and, and land critiques on them, and I respond with a respectful response of my process, I get a very nice response. It's usually I, I, somebody hits me on in my inbox and they're like, how could you leave this out? Didn't you know this? And I'm like, you know what? I didn't. You just taught me something. That should have been something I considered. I'll try to do better next time. I was, you know, the, my deadline was too tight. I didn't have time to do the research. Be honest. They'll respond. Most Americans are going to respond with the benefit of the doubt in the end, if you respond, most people just want to be responded to, I find in journalism. People think they're emailing, you know, it's like emailing a corporate company and emailing the, the blank generic email and thinking you're never going to going to get a response. If you respond to people respectfully and explain your process, it'll help you as a journalist. I guarantee it. It has helped me in the nearly two decades I've been doing this now. If you show people respect, they'll show you respect and you, you bring the, you, you lower the temperature and they're like, you know what? I don't agree with you. I think you may be a liberal, but, or whatever, but I respect that you, you, you explained your process. So in this case, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to explain my process because I'm respecting my editor's wishes, but I did want to explain because I did tease this on Twitter. I think that is a rule, not don't tweet, don't preview anything, just post. But I did still feel like I had to explain why I wasn't <laughs> producing what I had teased. And that again was a story about a complaint. I am gonna write about this in a different context um, with other stories and how you get feedback and, and how you handle your sources when they ask of you things that may compromise the integrity of a story. This wasn't a national security secret, by the way. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't deal on that level of, uh, this was, a, this was a pretty simple story with a pretty simple ask for a change. We made a decision not to make that change. And, and, you know, that has consequences on your relationship with that, that source and how things go forward. But this is what journalists deal with every damn day. And that's why I think it's important to air and important to talk about and to not shy away from. Reporters have to make trade-offs on relationships, on what they keep in their story, what they keep out. No one wants to talk on the record. Everything has to be on background. Everything's concealed. So you make sacrifices for that. And I think the public knew more and understood the compromises and trade-offs we have to make. They give us a little more leeway. They wouldn't just not trust everything that they read, which is a real problem that everyone in journalism is facing. As, as small as I am, all the way up to the New York Times. People read things and they don't believe them. And there's some... There's some a bit of truth to being skeptical of things you read. 
as a reporter I, I, who, who scans politicians all day, that's a real thing. But I think we as reporters should be more honest about how we operate. That's what I was tempting to do. I'm not able to fully do that tonight, but my goal is to do that in the future, flesh it out more on other stories um, with other editors who aren't as sensitive about this situation. So right now we're not gonna inflame a sticky situation. We're gonna put this to bed. We're gonna try to move on, but I wanted to convey to my listeners that my goal is to dive into sticky situations about sourcing, about how stories are made, about challenges we get to stories and how we handle them and how that impacts the journalism we're producing. Thanks for listening.